As we get into today's message, we're going to be talking about family, actually, quite a bit. And uh, family is a is an interesting concept in the uh, in Scripture, right? Um, we know that when God made us, He made us in the context of family, right? He said He made uh, us in His image in Genesis, in His image, male and female. Right? And the very first family, Jesus even points back to that and says that for this reason, a man shall leave his, his father and mother and cleave to his wife. It's by the very design. When we were created, we were designed for family. Yet we look in our culture today and we see that the majority of families, the majority of marriages end up being destroyed. When the waves of, 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 of pressure come, right? when the storms of life hit, right? when, uh, when life goes askew, we see that most families in our culture, fall apart. And if you've been, one of, been part of one of those families, as I have, I grew up in a family that had suffered, I want you to know there's hope. Right? That the scripture teaches a different way. That there is a better way for us to build our families. It's not on the shifting sands of the ideas of this culture. There is a better way that we can build our families, a rock-solid family. And that's for all of us. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about those things Today And so, uh, a message of hope for you. Now, our uh, memory verse today comes to us, which I think is a great memory verse for every family. It comes just to Joshua t- um, 24, 15. And this passage that we're going to be memorizing, in, in, the, in context, what happened is, there was Moses led the people up to the promised land, and Joshua got to lead them into the promised land. Right? And so Joshua is, is given, the, is given the, the, uh, responsibility for God to set up a nation. Right? And so he, do, he does. He leads the armies in there, and he, and he, he begins to, the conquest and be able to set up the nation of Israel, which was an amazing thing. And what God had done, well, Joshua, after getting all this set up, he brings the, the nation together. And he says, you know, how we do this as the family of Israel, how we do this as the family of, of God, uh, it really matters, right? How, how are we going to build a nation that's not like these other ones that, that we just cast out? And so he says, listen, you can serve the different foreign gods if you want to. You can do that. You can serve the gods of the Ammonites, the Pezzarites, all the kind of people that were around if you want to do that. But we see what happens to those that build their families and their nations on the wrong kind of foundation. And so Joshua says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And there has to be a decision, right? He says, choose this day right before that whom you will serve. (laughs) And so today, as we talk about building a family on on a solid foundation, it really comes down to this. We have to choose where we're going to build our family, what kind of foundation. And this is the foundation that a rock-solid family begins on and says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What a great place to start. You know that every solid family really begins there. That doesn't mean that there aren't happy families that don't have this, but they are vulnerable. You ever seen a beautiful house that was washed away? Yeah, we all got to see lots of those, didn't we, a few years ago. There, are, there can be families that look beautiful and that's wonderful. But without the right foundation, every family is vulnerable. And with the right foundation, we can withstand some crazy, crazy things. And it starts by this, a decision. As for me and my household, we're going to serve God. That's where it begins. Now, there's two biblical purposes that we see in Scripture, two purposes that we find for family. And the first one is a family is a shelter for life storms. It's what it's designed to be. 
A family is a place that we are supposed to come back together to, right? When life gets hard, it's the safe place to be able to come to. And some of you grew up in families like that. Some of you have homes like that. When, when there is chaos everywhere else, your family is a place of peace. And that's the design. But I also know that a lot of us don't have that. That, that there is chaos without, and sometimes there is chaos, greater chaos within the home. And God can help us with that and, and to create the family because his design was the family to be a place that is a shelter of the storm. When it's raining outside, it's dry and warm inside. It's a place of safety. The second thing that we find in Scripture is the family is supposed to be is a learning center for life. Families are the place that we learn about relationships first, right? It's a place that we, we pick up our values, that we learn character, where we gain faith. And we see it practiced and passed on. Families are the primary, the primary place of, of discipleship, aren't they? As parents disciple their children, who disciple their children, who disciple their children. That is what a family is designed to be. Those are the two things. And if we look at your family and you can say, those are two things that I experience now in my family, that's great. There is a possibility that you are really beginning, you are building your life, you have a solid foundation, you're starting there. If you look at your family right now and you say, you know what, there's one or two of those that I don't have. My family is either is not really a shelter of life storms. Right now, it's kind of the storm. Or if you're saying, you know what, my family really isn't a learning center. It's a place that I really don't want to be anything like. I want to give you hope that your family doesn't have to be like that. You see, there's, there's two other truths in God's word about family. The first one is that, that God provides you with a spiritual family, and that's the church. This is a shelter for storm. Even if your home is in a safe place, right here, this church is. This is a place that you can be real. This is a place that you can come to when, when life is difficult. That is part of what God called the church to be. We are a family in Scripture. You know more than anything else Christians call each other in the Bible? Brothers and sisters. And we pray to God as our Heavenly Father. It's not a mistake. It's not by accident that God designed us in family. Because God could design us however He wanted to. He made us as a family at creation. And then he reveals himself. He says, you're in my image, right? <laughs> That's what he said, that he created us in his image. And then when he comes, the body of Christ happens to look a whole lot like a family. And that's what it's called. That's a wonderful thing. Here you have a place, a shelter from life storms. And from here you have a safe place to begin building your own personal family on a right foundation. It's one of the things that we are here for. Also, a second truth we find in God's word, and this is very empowering, is that you get to decide what your family is going to look like. I, I do uh, quite a bit of, of marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, and then after <laughs> marriage counseling. And I will tell you, one of the most empowering, something that just blows people's minds oftentimes when we talk to them when they're having trouble, and also folks before they get married, is this, that there are uh, a marriage as a union between three, right? There's a husband, the wife, and God. And God's always going to do his part, right? God's always going to do his part to make a great family. So the husband and wife, the two of them get to decide what kind of family you're going to have. And so if you are finding that you have a difficult family and you are married, well, you're 50% of, of making a decision to, to driving in the right direction, or you can sink the boat, Right, But both of you, when coming together, can be able to build a stronger family. There is no reason. If you say, I don't like where we are, then choose a better way. Right? That's what you have the power to do. You are not victims. You are not, you are not utter, you know, it's like without any type of, of power in this. 
right? If you're on the boat, you have the oars, and you get to choose where to go. And we're going to talk about today where to go. Where's the place that God says is, is, is a better way, how to build a great family? And so we're going to, today we're going to talk about three foundations of a rock-solid family. These are real basic, simple things that we find in the Word, and, and they're very good. And the first one that we have to, and this is the, the, very, the, the most foundational thing, is invite God to be the center of my family. That's what we have to do. right? If, if anything else is the center of your family, if anything else, you notice your family revolves around anything else, and it could be good things you're going to find that you are, you are going to be off-center. That God has got to be the very center, which is one of the reasons why so many families in our culture fail. They do everything else right, but they get this part wrong. This is the most important thing. And how do you know that God is in the center? Well, everything else revolves around it. You look at your family and say, God's values, are they really core to where we are? God's priorities, are they being met? Husbands and wives, are you fulfilling God's priorities and God's commands for you and your roles? Children, right? Are they expected to, to live up to what God has called you? As parents, are you doing what God has called you to do for your kids? Is God the center of your life? Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. That is a powerful passage for all kinds of things in your life, isn't it? But no one that is more true than when we start to at least build our homes. If you are building your homes on anything that you would think, well, on my own power, right? If you think on our own goodness or our love for one another, all of those are great things. Those are going to be healthy ingredients to a good family. But those aren't great foundations for it. Because here's the thing. Your power is going to run out. Uh, Jesus said he's the vine where the branches. Have you ever seen a tree when you cut the limbs off? Tree is fine. What happens to the limbs? They die. They don't have a whole lot of power in them by themselves. You see, the reality is, is that you don't have the power to be able to love other people in your home the way they need to be loved because, like you, they are sinful. Have you ever notice that? The people that you live with aren't perfect? Okay? Not just me. Right? At some point, because you are together with them so often, right, you get to see each other at your absolute best and absolute worst. And you don't get a whole lot of separation time because you're living under the same roof. You can drive each other nuts. If you're trying to build your home on your power, you will fail. Right? Or how about your goodness? You say, this other person is a really good person why I chose them and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's great, but here's the truth. Yes, you were made in God's image. You have the capacity for greatness. You have the capacity to do amazing things and to show God's love and in amazing ways. But you also have something called the sin nature. All of us do. And the reality is, is if you're basing your family's strength around how good you are, how great your values are, but you're not basing it around God, you're going you're gonna to mess up. Because the reality is that you're really not all that good yet. You're getting better. We're becoming more and more Christ-like. That's being disciples. But you're going to mess up. We need grace. And where does the power to give grace come from? And the reality is that the other people in your home, they also are going to mess up. And there has to be the power to be able to forgive. You have to build your life on Christ's foundation because that's where we find grace and the power to love and forgive. Right? Or say you're just going to build your home on love. Right? You ever heard that song, All We Need Is Love? Right? And all these songs about how we be happy if you just have love. I tell you, if you try to build your home on a feeling, because love has got to be so much more than a feeling, by the way. 
But our culture says it's a feeling. Something magic happens when you see that person. It's like, oh, and then all your troubles just melt away. That's not how it works. Right? And there are times when you will be married to somebody and you want to feel like strangling them. Right? There will be times when your kids will drive you nuts. There will be times when kids, your parents are going to seem so dense. Right? There are times that it's just going to be difficult. You're not going to feel like loving, and that's when you actually get to love somebody. You get to choose them above yourself. Too many homes are based upon this. They say things like, oh, we fell out of love. Oh, we grew apart. God bonded you together. I'm sorry, there is no growing apart. You let your hearts wander, and God can bring them back together. That's what God can do. But you have to start with the foundation. We start by saying, you know what? God will build this house. God will build this house. And let him build this house. second thing we need to do is make my spouse my top priority right after God. You see that? How cool is this? How countercultural is that? See, we find in the word that for, for a husband, your top priority, your first ministry to God is your wife. And wives, do you see in Scripture that your first ministry before God is to your husband? And children, your first ministry to God is to your parents. This is an amazing thing. This is so different. We find, in fact, we find in the Word, if you don't have your, your family in order, if you're not, you're not nailing that, you're going to get that right, and God says, don't worry about working in other things. I, this is so key, so important for you. Love each other. This is your top ministry. And our world says this. Take care of yourself. The thing that the, the best thing you can do for your spouse is be happy. Baloney! The selfish people drive each other nuts. Have you ever been in traffic with two selfish people? It's awful. Even worse when you're living with selfish people. The solution is not to be happy, the solution is to be faithful. Jesus told us something so countercultural, blew people's minds 2,000 years later still. He said this, you want to live? Die to yourself. Then you'll find real life. And then he demonstrated what that meant because he literally died and gave us all real life. And that's where he was glorified. And he said, follow me? You want to find a different way? Stop seeking your own happiness and your own needs. Quit this stupid idea that it is a 50-50 partnership. That's not what God said. He said you're all in. It's a 100-100-100. It's all in. It's saying God died for me when I was still a sinner. He did. And he called for me to... Lay down my life for my spouse. And that doesn't mean that you're just open to abuse. Because uh, letting somebody abuse you, you know, is not helpful for them either. But what it does mean is that you stop being selfish. Stop saying, what am I getting out of this? Husbands, it says, love your wives. How should we love our wives? It says, lay down your life for them. Love them like Christ loved the church. That's a tall order. How did Christ love the church? Were we really awesome to him at first? No. We crucified him. And husbands, there will be times that you will be crucified for your family. There are times you have to put to death the things that you really, really, really want to do. Because it's not about you. You lay it down. 
You say to my wife, I'm going to care for her, I'm going to provide for her, I'm going to protect her, I'm going to, I'm going to love her. That's what, that's what the scripture says, is to give her that love, to choose her above yourself consistently. And when you mess up, repent and say, I messed up. And to love your wife. And to love your kids. And wives, it says, respect your husbands. Now, a little bit less of a burden, but still I think if I know most men, that's kind of hard. Because guys are not perfect, and neither are you. But to give your husband respect and honor. Call him up to the man that he was designed by God to be. Not speaking down to him or treating him like a man baby or a child, but giving him honor and respect as your husband, as the father of your kids. Choose your spouse above yourself. I'll tell you, this has the power to transform families. And you can only do this if you get the first one right. Because the power to live for Christ or to live for somebody else begins on the gospel, right? When we put God in the center. That's where the power to do this is. But I'll tell you, this is why Christian families can be remarkably strong. It's why when things fall apart in the world around, the Christian home can withstand and become a beacon of light and hope. It can weather the storms because there are storms it will weather. And it lets the rest of the world know that it's solid. So put your spouse second after God. Choose God first. And then choose your spouse. Love them. Respect them. 1 Corinthians 4 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. In context, Paul is talking about how he's validating his ministry. He's saying, listen, I've been given this ministry by God to go and to, uh, and to preach the gospel. And so he gives his qualifications and the reasons why, and he says this, it's required that those who have been, have been given a trust have to prove faithful. He's saying, I have to do this because God has expected something from me. And this is a principle that carries in lots of other places in life, doesn't it? As believers, when we've, God has given us a trust, it is up to us. We have to, to prove this faithful. If you are in a family, if you are married, You've been given a trust, haven't you? Someone's entrusted their heart to you. If you are a child, God has trusted you with parents. And parents, if you have children, God's entrusted them to you. If you have grandkids, guess what? There is ministry for you. But I'll tell you, all of us, we are in this church. God has given you at where you are right now in the family of God. There is a trust, and to be faithful in that, to choose to love to choose to follow a better way, right? To choose to be faithful in the ministry to your family that God has given to you. Ephesians 5.28 says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife also loves himself. This is part of the command, right? We talked about this, to respect and to love. This is not, uh, this is not politically correct, but it does work because it's part of our design. Love and respect. How do I do that? How do I love my wife as I would love myself? How do we do that? Scripture talks about some of these things. The first one is that we have to forgive all hurts. Right? Forgiveness is core to the Christian home. That's one of the foundational things. You put Christ in the center, we start by forgiveness. And and the Scripture, Jesus makes a big deal about forgiveness. Right? In Mark 1... That we, we read here, Mark 11 actually, it says, uh, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. That's a big deal. Do you see, if you forgive, then you also will receive forgiveness. God gives us some motivation. 
And I know for a lot of us that messes with our theology, we don't fully understand how all that works. I'll tell you, this is what Jesus said, and so what is his import? He wants us to forgive people. He says, if you are not forgiving, all right, it's going to impact your relationship with God. If Christ is really at the center, you don't forgive because your spouse or your kids or your parents deserve it. You forgive because God forgave you. That's why you do it. It's the expectation. You don't, might not feel like it. You might not want to. Really, that doesn't matter. Because holding a grudge feels good, doesn't it? Like when we get to hold that grudge on the inside, we're like, oh, now I have something against this person. I'm better than them. It makes me feel good to be mad at them, right? It's a sickness that we have. And God says, no, you can't hold on to that. You have to forgive. So putting Christ in the center and choosing your ministry to your spouse first looks like forgiveness. Every single one of you has been wounded by somebody you love deeply because you love people who are imperfect. And every single one of us has wounded somebody that we love deeply. Every one of us, right? A healthy home is a home that is a place of grace. It starts with this, and forgiveness is not just a, okay, I forgive you. It is a battle of the heart and the mind, isn't it? It's a continually laying down, saying, I'm mad at you, but I'm choosing to give that to Christ. That's what it is, over and over and over, until God takes the anger away. It's giving it over to him. Cultivate a culture of grace in your home. It's the best way, because if you don't have a culture of grace, then people are never going to have the safe place to own up to their own sins, are they? You don't create a place where people can repent. You make it so every, if, if you just all the time, somebody messed up 15 years ago, and you're always there just like, 15 years ago you did this, and now you're doing it again, and I remember. You never give the opportunity for healing. Right? You have to create a space that says, I forgive and I forgive. And you give that person an opportunity to change. And what if they do the same things again? Well, Peter asked that question. Say somebody does something wrong, you forgive them, and then they do it again. How many times do you have to forgive them? And Peter's like, seven? Because that seems like a lot. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, not even close. It's like 70 times seven. But really, we're not keeping track at that point, are we? Just forgive because God forgave you. Forgive. And after we forgive and we create that space, then we accept one another. We find this in Romans 15. It says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What more important place to have that happen than in your home? You might have family members that are straight up weird. Right? They're just strange, right? God just made them in an interesting way. Did God wait till you were perfect before he accepted you and his family? Now, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus accepts us the way we are, and then he transforms us. Your family has got to be a place that accepts people. And you might have people in your family that have no idea what it means to be a believer. And maybe living according to the world's way is just hardcore. Love them. Accept them doesn't mean to accept all the horrible, sinful, awful behavior. It means you get to love them. Say, in this home, it's a safe place, and we love you. See, Christ accepts all of our faults, and you have to really do business with God on that. And that's one of the reasons that when Jesus, he had this uh, 
this great dinner with this guy named Simon. And he goes and, and he, he sits down. Simon was a religious leader and all the, the uppy-dup people were having dinner at this house or whatever. And they're having dinner and Simon forgot to wash Jesus' feet. You know, have his feet washed. He came in the house. It's kind of a nice thing to do. And this woman comes in who was clearly not running in that crowd. You know, she was morally loose, was kind of known in the community. She comes in and she just breaks down and starts weeping at Jesus' feet. Talk about awkward, right? And her tears going on his feet and you can see the dust start to roll away. You know, like it's like a, because his feet were even still dirty. And instead of being recoiled, her heart is just so moved by the grace she had received in Christ that she begins to wash his feet with her tears in her hair. And Simon says to Jesus, or he thinks in his heart at least, if this guy really is a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. He wouldn't let this kind of woman touch with him. This is, this is bad for business, right? He's supposed to be a holy man. And Jesus knew Simon's heart. He says, Simon, let me ask you a question. Let me tell you a story. There was this guy who owed, a, he, was, he was a bank owner, and he had people that owed him money. And so he was, a, he was a wealthy guy, and he had people owe him money. And one person owed him five bucks. The other person owed him, you know, a million dollars. And neither could pay him back. And so he said to both, he was a good guy. He says, all right, I'm going to write off the debt. You guys are both set free. You don't have to pay a penny back. He says, Simon, which of those two would be happier? Which of those two would, be, would think higher of the person, would, be more, would love that, that business owner the most? Well, if you were in each other's shoes, which one would you? <laughs> it was the one that was forgiven much. And Jesus said, exactly. I think a lot of times we think we're the $5 lender, right? But we're not. If you really think about it, that's what communion does. Is it reminds us that we're not. If we remember how much we've been forgiven, it sure doesn't make it easier to forgive. When we remember how much we have been accepted, even with our brokenness, doesn't it make it easier to accept other people with their brokenness? That's why we have to put Christ at the center first. Next thing we've got to do is, is we build that as a priority for our family, love our spouse. We've got to attend church regularly, right? It, this is your spiritual family. And I'll tell you, this is the best thing that you can do for your personal family is to be part of this bigger family. That's what God wants us to be part of. The church is a family made of families. It's who we are. And if you're separating and you're doing your own thing always, even if you're on your nucleus, you're really not centering your family on Christ. This is an opportunity as a family. We all get to come back together, have the same instruction, right? Go to the same word. Your children get to see parents. What does it mean? What does it look like to honor God and to worship him, right? Parents, we get to look at our children. They, the childlike faith, I learned so much from my son, right? When he reads the word and he has these questions and things like that, he's so honest, and it builds my faith as well. You need to be here. This is where we find help and encouragement, isn't it? There's times over the last couple of years when things were really rough. Our family was in the midst of the storm, and it was here that I received the encouragement and the energy that I needed, right? The help to be able to carry on so I could love my wife and my son the way that God called me to. The reminder to not be selfish. The reminder that I wasn't alone, right? The, the opportunity to receive love so that I could be able to give it. You need to be here. In addition to this, we'll talk about our third thing that we need to do. Once we love our wives and our, and our, our spouses uh, next, after God, we do this. Also, I fulfill my responsibility to my children. Right? In order. 
God first, then we, our spouse, and then we fulfill our, our responsibilities to our children. In the Word, we have several things that God tells us that parents, we owe our kids. And grandparents, really, you owe to that next generation. You help your kids as they help their kids. The first one is that we do disciple our children. That is, the, that is what God, one of the first things when he made families, is what he designed it to do, is to be disciples that build disciples. Look all the way back in Scripture, all the way back to Deuteronomy, right? And when Jesus, or actually God the Father, who was set up through Moses, he's saying, this is how I want my nation to be set up, this new nation, right? Choose this day whom you will serve, right? This is how he said, this is how you are supposed to set families up. He says this, these commandments that I gave you today are to be on your hearts, right? So know them, go to church, get this, and then what? Impress them on your children. And I love the idea. Don't just teach. You ever seen something that was impressed? Right? That's a, it, yes. Press it in, right? You just make sure that it's in there so that way it leaves its mark. This is not just a light, oh, if you want it. No, press it in there. How? Just talk about it when, they, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Right? Our, our kids need it just like we do. And it's almost drive your kids nuts with the ways of God. You wake up in the morning, Jesus loves you, right? Oh, and by the way, you got to forgive that kid in your class, right? You got to pray for that person, right? We teach them God's ways. As you're walking along the road, you're like, hey, we're going to school, right? What does God have for us today? Have you prayed about this? Have you asked for forgiveness for being, you know, mean to your teacher, right? There are things that we do, we talk about faith. And then not even when they, when they come home, right? Even when they're written ready for bed, we talk about God and who he is and how much he loves them. This is the language of a Christian home. It is seasoned with, with the gospel, isn't it? With scripture. Because we start with God being at the first, the center. Everything revolves around him. So every family issue is affected by faith. And that centers us, doesn't it? It gives us strength. And we show our kids what that means. I could imagine the kids that got this for the first generation were like, God, stop talking about God already. We get it, right? Because I can remember being a teenager. But I'll tell you, being a coach has also reminded me of this. Every single time I do football practice, we do the basics. Every single time. How do you get in a ready-ready position? How do you tackle somebody? What's the form tackle? How do we throw the ball? How do you catch it? Always the basics over and over and over and over and over and over again. To the point that they don't even think about it anymore. It just becomes part of who they are. Marinate your kids in the gospel. And don't feel bad about it. It's what God tells us to do, but don't just tell them about it. Live it out. You have to live it. Kids are going to catch so much more. They're not going to remember what you said, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. They will. If they see you setting an example of, of godly living, if they see parents laying their lives down for each other, right? Or they see grandparents laying their lives down for each other. If they see a family that's based upon selflessness and generosity and kindness and forgiveness and they grow up in a household of grace, they will know how to be the type of people that aren't selfish. They will know what it means to be selfless and how to love and how to forgive. They will know how to create a household of grace. That's what will happen. It's inevitable. So God gives us this. And after the next thing that we have is recognize we don't just disciple our kids. We do something that sounds a lot like disciple because it comes from the same word, and that's discipline. We discipline our children. In Hebrews 12, 11, it says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, 
but painful. That's kind of the point. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace by those who've been trained by it. I know this is very countercultural. We're supposed to not harm our little one's fragile self-esteem. I'll tell you what, if your kid's a punk, he shouldn't feel good about himself. Just shouldn't. He should see who he is, and so that way he can change to become who God calls him to be. If you are a bank robber, you shouldn't feel good about the money you have, right? I'll tell you, all of our kids, though they are made in the image of God and we love them and they have great potential, they are also, like us, they are born with a sin nature. Now, when I say discipline, some people have misunderstood and they say punish. Mm -mm, There is a big difference. See, let's just say this is the standard, right? This is what the standard is that God wants us to be at. And when people's behaviors fall below standard, we have a gap, right? How do we close that gap? Well, there's two different ways to do it, and God gives two different institutions or different institutions different ways to do this. And the first one would be punishment, right? Punishment looks at that gap, and it says, this is where you're supposed to be, and this is what you are at, and therefore, for the sake of justice, you have to suffer this much. If you suffer this much, it's an unjust punishment. If you suffer this much, justice hasn't been served. But if, you're, if this is the standard, and this is where you are, you suffer this much for the purpose of justice, That is punishment. Families are not authorized to punish. Do you know there are only two institutions in Scripture that are given the right to punish? And they are this, the government and God. That's it. The rest of us aren't, we we are a place of grace. Even the church doesn't punish. You don't find it anywhere in Scripture. So how does the difference is? We'll say discipline is this, here's the standard and here's your behavior. Discipline is I will do whatever it takes to bring your behavior up to standard. That's what it is. Sometimes it requires pain. Sometimes it requires incentive, right? Sometimes the step between here and here is very, very simple. It's just a quick word of correction. Hey, do this. They're like, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. And boom, you're up there. Sometimes it's very, very little, but there's a lot of bad attitude in between there, right? In that little tiny bit. And it might require a lot of pain to get you up to standard. You see, like football coaches, we don't punish our students when they're our players when they don't catch a ball we discipline them we teach them this is a standard catch the ball this is where you are you didn't catch the ball how do i get you up there maybe you've got to stay after practice and catch 150 passes till you get your hands right okay that's what it takes whatever it takes to bring you up to standard i'll tell you as parents god has given us a standard and our world needs kids that are growing up into adults that know how to live according to the right standard a godly standard how to love people Where are they going to learn that? How to live according to right ethics and truth in the home. And by letting kids just go their own natural way, do you think that naturally they're just going to just learn these things? That's the most ridiculous thing. If that was the case, God wouldn't have written the Bible. Right? We all need to know how to live a better way. And so the the discipline is loving. It's the idea of drawing somebody up. And I'll tell you as parents... You're not always going to do it perfect, right? But if you create a place of space and grace in your home, when you mess up, you can go to your kids and say, man, I messed that up. I didn't handle that the best way. But here's why I'm trying to draw you up. That don't mean a ton. But you create a space that draws families up. We discipline our children because the Lord disciplines us, doesn't he? God doesn't just leave you where you are. 
He gives us the word and says, I expect you to live according to this. Not because he wants us to be, you know, robots or he likes to boss us around. Because there's a better way of living. And, and if you're just wallowing in the mud, God loves you too much to leave you there, doesn't he? But he doesn't always just bring lightning bolts. Though sometimes we deserve them. God does whatever it takes to help us, doesn't he? That's discipleship. It's another reason why we need to be in a church, because you'll be around other parents and you could talk to them. Or you'll be around people that have raised their kids before or their grandparents that have a lot of wisdom. And you can say, man, my kid's doing this, and you'll realize that your kid's not the first one in the history of the world that's been like that. That's why we need each other. And I'll tell you what, your grandparents, that you are here that have had kids, boy, we need your wisdom, because our world is not giving it to us. To be able to say, hey, we love you, we encourage you parents, but this is how you can raise your kids. Another thing that we do is we nurture our children. We don't just discipline them, we nurture them. We love them. It means we care for them because God cares for us, doesn't he? Our home should be a place our kids feel absolutely safe and absolutely loved. That they are accepted just as they are, though we will discipline to help them grow. Right? That they know that our love for them is not based upon, you know, just their behavior. That we love them because they were made in God's image and they are a gift. And so we love them just the way the Heavenly Father cares for us. And so we say, yeah, there's going to be a, there's gonna be a benefit to how we love our kids. And I think the last thing is you've got to enjoy your kids. I am so sick and tired of having parents. I hear them say, oh, I can't wait till my kids move out. That's, that's the craziest thing. They are a gift. They are the people in the world that are hardwired to like you. And if you can't get them to like you, right, and to love you and to respect you, you need to do some deep soul searching. Love them. Enjoy them. They are a gift. Think of the child, the wonder that they have, the way that they, they see the world in a whole different way. Even if they're difficult, there are things in their difficulty that as a parent that you have the capacity to love them even when no one else can. Find the things in your child and speak that life. And if you are an adult and have adult children, that doesn't stop. Our kids need to know that their parents... Their home is still a safe place. Just like we need our Heavenly Father to remind us regularly that our Heavenly home is secure, it's a safe place, and that we're welcome. So how do I build my house on a, on a healthy foundation? Three things. The first one that we talked about today is that we have to do this. We have to invite God to be the center of my family. It starts there. Nothing else happens after that. Next, we make my spouse my top priority after God. And then, of course, fulfill my responsibility to my children. It's not difficult. Scripture gives us very simple things, but it's very countercultural. Now, you may be sitting here today and say, Aaron, well, that's great, but you know what? That doesn't really apply to me. I'm not in the same stage of life that you are, right? Maybe I'm an empty nester. Maybe I'm single or divorced. Maybe I don't have kids. Maybe I haven't been married yet. What about us? These still apply because we are the family of faith here, aren't we? I mean, think about this. Putting God at the center of your family and your life is God's center. As grandparents, if you, if, you have, if, if you have adult children, even if they don't have kids yet, it, you're still setting an example for all of us here. Show what it looks like to have God at the center. We need that. If you're a young person and you're not married yet or anything like that, put God in the center of your life. Don't chase after all the crazy things that everybody else goes after. Learn what it means like to have God first. What a witness and a testimony you will be to your friends and your teachers and, your, and your, those that are around you. If you are single, you're an adult, and you don't have a spouse, you can still have God be center. 
Look at the Apostle Paul. We would say that he did some pretty cool things, right? In fact, he found sufficiency in God first. And about this, make your spouse your top priority. What if you don't have a spouse? Well, how do I do that? Well, here's some things that you can do. The first one, if you are pre-married or you're, you haven't been married yet, make your spouse your top priority. Keep yourself pure. Pray for your spouse who eventually you will meet. Pray for God to be working in their life. Learn how to love them before you ever even meet them. That's where you can begin. Live your life in such a way that when you do meet them, they will respect you. Make the first. Learn how to be selfless. Learn how to care for other people. That'll help them. What if you're older, you're widowed or whatever, you don't have? I'll tell you this. You can show others what does it mean to... I'll tell you, as as a younger man, as a middle-aged man, I really could use help as I look around to see other guys who've loved their wives through life. And even those who've, who have had their wives have passed and they're widowers. Man, what a, what a testimony to me. What does it mean? How do I love my wife? Live your life in such a way that is, that is a testimony for us. And that's part of being in the church family, right? Talk about your spouse well. Well, how about this? What if, how do you spill your responsibility to your children if you don't have any? Well, I'll tell you what. You are all part of this family, and we have kids. And next service, we're going to have child dedications. Several families coming up, dedicating their children to the Lord. And guess what? All of those kids are part of this church family, and we all have responsibility to help them grow in faith and faithfulness. That's what we have to do. All of these things affect all of us. But when we build our lives on this foundation, I think you will find that the storms of life will not stop. Just like when you build a house, it doesn't stop raining, right? But now you have a shelter from the storm. And that's exactly what this world needs. It's what your family needs. And so we need to begin to apply it. And so how do you do that, right? There's a lot of things. There's three simple things, but very difficult. We look at how we apply. So you take your connection card out, and I would encourage you, there's some things that you can do to help begin to build your house on a healthy foundation. The first one that you can, if you look on the back of your connection card, I would encourage you to do this, this commitment is to memorize Joshua 24.10. It says, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Man, say it over and over and over again. Let it sink into your heart. Think about what does it mean. What does it, what does it even look like for your household to serve the Lord? Right? What does it mean to have that? Use that as an opportunity to meditate on God's word, to think about it. How does it apply? Memorize it this week. Meditate on it. How about this? Maybe you want to read Ephesians chapter 6. You'll say, Aaron, why would you pick that chapter? Well, I think you should read it, and you'll find out why. Or how about this? Maybe you're going to pray for my parents or for my children or even your grandchildren if you have them. One of the best ways that we can serve our families is by inviting God into our families, isn't it? Pray for them. Pray for them diligently. You might be the only one that is praying for them. So maybe this week is what you do. As you say, you know, God, I'm going to be praying for my parents or my kids or for my grandkids. It's amazing how God changes our hearts through prayer, isn't it? Or maybe what you need to do is you need to join this church family. Maybe you've been coming for a while. You know, you're interested in what we do here. This is not a social club, but it's not just a place to be entertained for a couple hours on Sunday morning. This is a church family. We are the kingdom of God. We are about doing his work, right? and experiencing his love together. And if you don't have a church family, you don't have a shelter from life storms, there's a place for you here. And if this is something that you need to do, you check that, make sure that I have your name and your contact information. 
what we're going to do is we'll have our next membership class here in, uh, next month, and, and we'll make sure that you get an invite to that. You'll get to see what is part of those things. And also, it's not just becoming an official member. It makes you part of the church family. It's connecting in the church. So we'll give you opportunities and next steps of how to connect more, right? how to become part of this family. Maybe there's something else that God's telling you to do. You could certainly write that down. Right? And let us know about it. So I'll be praying for you this week. Maybe a prayer request. Uh, you know, one thing that we do love to do for you in this church is we do pray for you every single week. We want God to be alive in you and your life. So if you let us know how to pray, that certainly helps us. We can say, thank you, God. Specific prayers, get more specific answers. General prayers, get general answers. Let us know how to ask God and talk to him with you. And write that down. In here a minute, we're going to take our offering. And as we take our offering, I want you to take your, your tithes and all that. You can put that in the, in the cool little envelope that we give you every week. And you can put that in the offering basket. But also take this. This is an offering of your heart to God, saying, God, I'm committed to following you greater, to building my family in a healthy foundation. So let's do that. Let's pray for our offering and for our commitments, and then I'll have the worship team come up and join us. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful to be called your family. As it says, First John, see the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. It's just astonishment, Lord, that you would you know us, and you got to pick your kids, um, and that you would still choose us is amazing. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for showing us what it means to be loving and kind, forgiving and grace-filled and selfless and good. Father, I pray your blessing over these families that are here today. I pray that, Father, that your love would would center their hearts on your word and your will and your spirit and your ways. Father, I pray that you would give us the good sense to be those who don't just hear the word, but but like Jesus said, if we want a life that's built on an unshakable faith, that we have to actually do what you say. Help us to apply what we've learned today. Help us, Father, be a church that loves you first and most in our homes, and our lives. Give us the courage to, to begin to love our, our spouses. Give us the ability, Father, to fulfill our responsibilities to our kids. Father, build family here and build this church family in a way of, that is filled with love and truth and hope. Father, and I pray that you would add many more into this family for your glory. And Father, we also pray for our offering that we make. Lord, that we are all invested. We are all in. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, that you would take these tithes, these offerings, these gifts, Lord, and that you would use them for the care of your family, but also, Father, for the magnification of your family. That those who are on the outside, those who live without love, those who have never tasted grace would have the opportunity to be able to, to experience the gospel and could enjoy the life-changing faith that brings us, Lord, to you. Lord, we pray all of these things in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus.